Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. It's December, ModPod listeners. Can you believe it? It seems like we were just in the thick of conference season, and now I'm suddenly rushing to finish up my holiday shopping, mail out my Christmas cards, and record this final episode of the VOD Pod for 2023. If Santa were a genie, I might ask for a pause or rewind button, but that's not happening, so let's see what we have lined up for you this month. A healthy dose of retina, a dash of financial advice, and to top it all off, a sprinkle of reassurance for fitting presbyopes with multifocal contact lenses. Ready to listen? Julie Rodman, a professor of optometry at Nova Southeastern University in Davie, Florida, will start us off. Many vitreomacular conditions have similarities and associated sight-threatening sequelae, so it's vital for optometrists to correctly recognize and manage them. Here she is to explain more. So we know that as eye care practitioners, we routinely encounter vitreomacular interface disorders. And really, these disorders encompass a wide range of things, including PVD, vitreomacular traction, also known as VMT, vitreomacular adhesion, VMA, epiretinal membrane, ERM, lamellar holes, and full thickness holes. And oftentimes, they kind of come together because they don't live in isolation, right? Vitromacular interface disorders tend to come in packages. So it's important to be familiar with all of them. And really due to the potential significant sight-threatening sequelae that these conditions may have, it's really important that we are all very familiar um, with identifying these and managing these disorders and using things like OCT to help us to diagnose these conditions. We know that OCT is a non-invasive, wonderful imaging modality that provides us with high-resolution images of the retina and choroid, and particularly of the vitreomacular interface. So really, to start off this conversation, we have to understand the importance of knowing the anatomy of the vitreous, right? This is going to help us to make best diagnoses. So we know that as we age, the vitreous body goes through physiological changes. The vitreous is made up of 98% water and 2% structural macromolecules and really is the largest structure of the human eye. The vitreous is a clear gelatinous body with a central core surrounded by an outer cortex composed of dense collagen. This collagen is type 2 and they're separated by water and hyaluronic acid. The vitreous is attached to the retina by the inner limiting membrane and it's attached uh, to the retina at the vitreous base, optic disc, fovea, and retinal blood vessels. So when we are born, the vitreous is really a nice, coherent, gel-like, tough structure. But as we age, the vitreous undergoes normal age-related changes. And these normal age-related changes include the liquefaction of the vitreous into what we call lacunae, or fluid-filled bodies. And this liquefaction process is also known as synchesis of the vitreous. At the same time, the vitreous is decreasing in overall volume, which is resulting in what we call synoresis, or the anterior contraction of the vitreous body. 
At the same time, there's breakdown of the collagen beam framework of the vitreous body and an increase in these lacunae or fluid-filled spaces within the gelatinous body, resulting in a separation of the poster hyaloid of the vitreous from the retina. This process is an ongoing process which begins around the fovea, so perifovially, with eventual detachment of the entire posterior vitreous cortex, including a complete PVD, which is where the vitreous detaches from the optic nerve and peripapillary region. Once the vitreous has separated from the optic nerve, we can clinically see a Weiss ring um, on fundus examination, and that is how we know that a complete PVD is present. However, that is, you know, that's what happens in the ideal world. What happens when things go wrong? So when things go wrong, we have what is known as an anomalous PVD. And an anomalous PVD occurs when the vitreous liquefaction or the synchesis or the contraction or synoresis outpaces the detachment of the vitreous cortex. So a while back, a study group came together called the International Vitreomacular Traction Study Group, and they defined anomalous PVD as a partial vitreous detachment with persistent attachment in the macular region. Vitreous vitreomacular interface disorders all manifest because of anomalous PVDs. And as I mentioned at the very beginning, there are a wide array of these interface disorders. Vitromacular adhesion, or VMA, involves a perifoveal vitreous detachment and is synonymous with a stage one PVD or detachment of the vitreous in the perifoveal region. VMA is essentially defined strictly by the anatomic features seen on OCT. The cortical vitreous is elevated above the retina, but this is the important part. There is no change to the retinal anatomy within a three millimeter radius of the fovea. And that's important to remember because that is how we differentiate that from a vitromacular traction. As PVDs evolve, residual cortical vitreous tissue may be left on the surface of the retina. Proliferation of this cortical vitreous debris can proliferate, and this is how we get an epiretinal membrane. Epiretinal membranes are sheet-like membranes that develop superficially to the inner limiting membrane of the retina. These structures are made up of glial cells and laminocytes, which expand and contract, resulting in anatomic changes, really distortion of the inner limiting membrane. The traction imposed by an epiretinal membrane can result in thickening of the underlying retina. Patients with epiretinal membrane can be observed unless they are experiencing diplopia, metamorphopsia, or if their vision is 2060 or less. And that's something that I get asked all the time. You know, what am I supposed to do with a patient that has an epiretinal membrane? And I emphasize that most retina specialists are not going to intervene unless they have some of those things that I just mentioned. It is appropriate to refer these patients to retina for intervention if they are symptomatic, if their vision is less than 2060, or if they're experiencing diplopia. And usually the treatments are going to involve an, involve an ILM peel with a vitrectomy. ERM and anomalous PVD may result in extended periods of vitreous contraction, which ultimately would lead to vitromacular traction. So VMT occurs when the posterior cortical vitreous partially separates from the retina, causing an anteroposterior traction at the fovea. 
The tractional forces result in anatomic obscuration of the retina and actually may result in some intraretinal pseudocystic formation and other complications. Remember I mentioned before that that anatomic obscuration is, is what is going to separate VMA from VMT. Some of the other anatomic changes we see include thickening of the retina, distortion, or neurosensory detachments. VMT is most common in the elderly population and in women due to age-related vitreous changes and vitreous liquefaction that's associated with declining postmenopausal estrogen levels. VMT can be classified by the width of the, of, the, of the attachment. So focal would mean that it's involving less than 1,500 microns. Broad would include greater than 1,500 microns. It's important to comment on the size of the VMT as broad is more likely to result in overall retinal thickening and intraretinal schesis, where focal VMT is more commonly associated with pseudocyst formation, foveal elevation, and perhaps macular hole formation. VMT can also be categorized by the presence or absence of other comorbidities. So when you look at the OCT, if there are other things happening on the scan, we tend to call that concurrent VMT, or if there's nothing else happening on the scan, isolated VMT. So if a patient had, let's say, AMD at the same time, we would call that concurrent VMT. Progressive vitreoretinal traction may result in episodes of significance and firm traction on the macula, resulting in anatomic changes to the fovea. When there is a complete disruption of all layers of the neurosensory retina, a full thickness macular hole may result. Full thickness macular hole is defined as a full thickness foveal defect from the ILM to the RPE, allowing for a direct communication between the vitreous and the subretinal space. Again, the IVTS or the International Vitromacular Traction Study Group classified full thickness macular holes based on size. So holes measuring less than 250 microns at the narrowest point of separation on OCT were considered small. Holes measuring greater than 250 to less than 400 were considered medium. And those greater than 400 were considered large. And it's important to delineate the size of the hole because treatment and outcome are going to be directly correlated with the size of the hole. Full thickness macular holes should be referred to a retina specialist for intervention, including ILM peel with pars plane of atrectomy. Remember that it's important to dynamically scroll through all OCT images on a particular patient with a suspected hole, as oftentimes the abnormal foveal contour is not full thickness in nature, even though it might look that way on one particular cut. OCT makes it easier to identify partial thickness holes, which can be classified as lamellar or pseudo hole. Lamellar holes will exhibit an irregular foveal contour, a defect in the inner fovea, and intraretinal splitting. But remember that the photoreceptor integrity line will remain intact, thus allowing for better overall visual acuity. A lamellar hole can be described as tractional or degenerative, both of which have distinct characteristics. Tractional holes will, as the name implies, have an overlying epiretinal membrane, resulting in a foveal schesis or separation of the fovea, and will take on a mustache-like appearance. 
a degenerative lamellar hole will have an irregular foveal contour, foveal cavitation with round edges, and may exhibit something called epiretinal proliferation, which can be seen on the OCT as a dense homogenous tissue superficial to the ILM. That shouldn't be mistaken for an epiretinal membrane as an epiretinal proliferation is a thick homogenous tissue. Macular pseudoholes are also partial thickness holes with heaped foveal edges, concomitant epiretinal membrane with central opening with no loss of retinal tissue. Remember that this you know, these disorders, vitromacular interface disorders, are in the optometrist's wheelhouse. Using OCT to help make a good diagnosis is going to really help to drive excellent management decisions. So remember that given the commonality of vitroretinal disorders and the potential for the associated site-threatening sequelae, including full-thickness macular hole formation, it's important that practitioners can accurately identify and differentiate these disorders. Use your OCT alongside your clinical exam to find the, the abnormality and make good management decisions. Anomalous posterior vitreous detachment, vitreomacular traction, vitreomacular adhesion, epiretinal membrane, lamellar holes, and full thickness macular holes can all coexist because of similar pathophysiology. Do you feel more confident about identifying and differentiating between these disorders? Well, let's move on to talk about a totally different topic, money. First, let's take a quick break, though. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Now that we're back, Christopher Lopez, an optometrist at Grebenau Eye Care in New London and Clintonville, Wisconsin, and also a career consultant for Odie's on Finance, has five steps to share for building financial security. In today's world, optometry is perceived as a relatively lucrative and low-stress career option. Although it is true that our expertise as optometrists can translate into substantial earnings, building wealth requires more than just a high salary. Achieving financial freedom means balancing significant student loans and other financial challenges with smart money management and investment. Considering that optometrists rank low on the doctor compensation spectrum and the cost of attendance for doctorate programs continues to grow out of control, it's no wonder so many of our OD colleagues find themselves in precarious financial positions. Fortunately, building wealth and achieving success is still within our grasp. I will highlight five steps to help guide you along the road to financial freedom. Step number one, understand your finances. The first step in any financial journey is to obtain a comprehensive understanding of your individual financial situation. This includes analyzing your debt, reviewing your compensation, and keeping track of your expenses. For most students, optometry school comes with hefty loan payments. It is crucial to understand the terms of your loans, the interest rates, and the duration of payments. Before taking out any loans, take some time to comprehend the variety of programs available so you can make the most informed decision for your situation. 
For example, federal loans may have forgiveness options available and some income-driven repayment plans may be more suitable for certain optometrists. With today's ever-increasing interest rates, some ODs may wonder whether refinancing their student loans is worthwhile. Income is important. Having provided services for hundreds of contract reviews and negotiations for optometrists across the country, I have seen income for associate ODs range from $60,000 to $300,000 per year. The biggest mistake an OD can make in negotiating for higher wages comes down to one thing, simply not asking. Analyze your salary, bonus, and benefits package before initiating negotiations for a raise to fully understand your overall compensation package. Use this information in addition to the revenue that you're generating for the practice and the intangible value items that you possess to decide how best to negotiate for higher earnings. Intangible value can include skills such as speaking multiple languages, having an uplifting attitude, training employees, educating staff, and exhibiting phenomenal bedside manner. Document your expenses, such as groceries, utility bills, rent or mortgage, childcare, etc. You would be amazed at how much money you may be spending without even realizing. Gaining a clearer picture of where your money is going and comparing this with the income assessment you performed in the previous step can really empower you to make better financial decisions. Establish an emergency fund prior to making big investments or paying off student loans as unexpected events can occur anytime and may change your circumstances rapidly. Work on accruing an emergency fund of about three to six months worth of your living expenses to provide a comfortable safety net. Step number two, seek professional advice. Many of our colleagues are graduating with more than $200,000 in student loan debt and even owing as much as $300,000 is no longer a rare occurrence. It can be overwhelming when just six months after graduation, you must begin paying two to $3,000 a month to meet your student loan obligation. The best thing you can do during this period is seek advice, which is a main reason why Odie's on Finance was launched. This educational platform consists of more than 25,000 optometrists who enjoy helping their colleagues navigate their personal, professional, and financial journeys. Better yet, we collaborate with the brightest financial minds in the industry. Step number three, invest wisely. Financial guidance is best offered on an individual basis. With that in mind, this article will not delve into single stock picks or describe which investment vehicle is best. That said, however, there is a relatively generalizable investment option that has helped millions retire wealthy index funds. Investing in low-cost index funds provides an opportunity to own an inherently diversified portfolio with low expense ratios. Using index funds means you won't achieve the high earnings from picking individual stocks that skyrocket. However, you also won't face the risk of losing your entire investment if a single stock tanks in value. The premise of index fund investing is to offer a simple and affordable solution for the novice investor. 
whose retirement account will grow as long as the stock market performs well. It is worth noting that everyone should evaluate their individual financial situation to understand which investments make the most sense to achieve their goals. Although index funds can serve many investors well, they are not a panacea for ODs who wish to retire wealthy. Future articles will include discussion of 401ks, individual retirement accounts including Roth and traditional plans, bonds, real estate investments, and more. Step number four, live below your means. The key to building wealth is not how much money you earn, but how much money you keep. Living below your means, especially those first few years after graduation, can help set a foundation for financial independence earlier on in your career. The message is simple. Spend wisely. Avoid lifestyle creep. Cut out unnecessary expenses. Continue driving your older vehicle and forgo the Rolex. Continue down the path of delayed gratification for a while and funnel your excess funds into investments or debt repayments. Your future self will thank you. Step number five, consider practice ownership. Associate optometrists can make a good living. However, there is no question that optometry practice ownership can offer a much higher financial ceiling than can be attained by associates. Due to high demand and a true need for valuable and affordable guidance, ODs on Finance launched the Code Start Accelerator program geared toward helping ODs code start the optometry practice of their dreams. Those buying existing practices are also welcome to join. Reach out for expert consultation advice from professionals who are in the trenches every day helping our colleagues succeed. Services include competitive bank financing, real estate assistance, equipment deals, build-out direction, and more. Best of all, the program is free to ODs, meaning there are no charges from ODs on finance. Fees are only due to the companies with whom you decide to work. Your financial goals will evolve as you move through different life stages. So remember to keep reassessing and realigning your strategies accordingly. Most importantly, invest early, and let time work its magic. As Albert Einstein said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Here's a quick author note from me. I am absolutely thrilled to author this and provide a voice recording for the inaugural article of this new collaboration between Modern Optometry and Odies on Finance. The Mod Money Matters column will be featured in ongoing editions of Modern Optometry with the goal of exploring topics that contribute to the financial well-being of our optometry colleagues throughout the industry. Hopefully Dr. Lopez made planning for the future feel less overwhelming. Feel free to share your comments, questions, and any other feedback on a particular article or episode via email to me at k-r-o-m-a-n at bmctoday.com. We're down to the last article of the episode, so let's talk contact lenses, in particular those available for patients with presbyopia. Listen to Ryan Court, co-owner of North Lake Eye in North Carolina and owner of introwellness.com, explain how to optimize comfort and performance with multifocal contact lenses. Today, presbyopic patients have a wealth of corrective lens options from which to choose. Although spectacles may seem like a popular choice due to their reliable performance, many patients find them lacking in aesthetics, 
and practicality for everyday use. Contact lenses are an attractive alternative, promising exceptional visual quality while maintaining the comfort and convenience of being glasses-free. Among the various corrective lens design options available for the correction of presbyopia, multifocal contact lenses stand out for their remarkable performance across all distances. Compared with those of the past, today's multifocal contact lenses boast superior optical designs engineered with the specific biometrics and visual needs of presbyopes in mind. Multifocal contact lenses are typically made of a soft silicone hydrogel material to ensure a comfortable wearing experience. In recent accounts, the success rates of multiple multifocal contact lenses is reported to be around 85%, with practitioners and patients expressing a strong preference for them compared with single vision and monovision options. Manufacturers have made great strides in their multifocal contact lens offerings with enhanced designs and innovative ingredients that provide a comfortable wearing experience. For example, AccuView Oasis Max One-Day Multifocal Contact Lenses employ tear-stable technology to ensure tear film stability and all-day comfort through the distribution of wetting agents. In addition, the Total 30 line of contact lenses is being launched. These monthly lenses incorporate water gradient technology which features a gradual transition of water content across the lens. Infuse one-day multifocal lenses include ProBalance technology, an innovative blend of electrolytes, osmoprotectants, and moisturizers that help maintain the tear film and ocular surface homeostasis. In general, daily disposable multifocal contact lenses excel at maintaining moisture and oxygen transmission which effectively minimizes dryness and discomfort. These remarkable properties establish the selection of daily multifocal contact lenses as an excellent choice for patients with presbyopia, a population susceptible to dry eye and related conditions due to both the natural aging processes and age-related systemic diseases. Multifocal contact lens manufacturers have integrated various optic designs that are optimized not only for comfort, but also for performance. For instance, the AccuView Oasis Max One-Day Multifocal Lens incorporates pupil-optimized design technology, which addresses pupil size variations, an OptiBlue light filter, which aims to reduce exposure to blue-violet light. My day Daily disposable multifocal lenses feature the binocular progressive system, which includes a 3-ad system to provide clear vision at all distances. The Infuse one-day multifocal lens seamlessly integrates the company's 3-zone progressive design, which incorporates 7 biometric factors to deliver an effortless and reliable fit for most patients. Ensuring a successful lens fitting experience hinges on taking a personalized approach to meeting each patient's individual needs. Some factors to consider during the process include ocular history, lifestyle needs, and financial flexibility, as well as your own preferences and experience with each product as the provider. Our team initiates a contact lens assessment by gauging a patient's interest in contact lenses. We find it valuable to rephrase and reiterate the inquiry several times during the visit, which helps us uncover patients who may not have realized 
that they could benefit from multifocal lenses. After the exam, I educate the patient on the available corrective options, outloading the expected visual outcomes and the overall wear experience with multifocal contact lenses. Although daily disposable lenses provide the best comfort level for most patients, not all patients have the financial flexibility to invest in this premium option. For patients who want to wear multifocal contact lenses without straining their budget, there's a wide selection of excellent monthly and bi-weekly options available. These lenses have good optical designs that can deliver exceptional performance when fit correctly. One strategy for a patient with a limited budget involves initially fitting them with a lower cost lens option, which can then be upgraded to a higher tier daily disposable lens from the same manufacturer. Because many lenses from the same lines share common optic designs, it offers a seamless experience for patients seeking an enhanced lens option. And as a practitioner, your prior experience with a particular lens product and the associated fitting guide can have a considerable effect on the success of the lens fitting process. Multifocal contact lenses have seen significant improvements in both optic, design, and comfort. For presbyopes who have previously dropped out of contact lens wear, these innovative technologies offer a compelling opportunity to try again. Although most products in this category perform well for a broad spectrum of patients, a comprehensive understanding of each individual patient's circumstances and the unique design of each multifocal lens product can play a pivotal role in delivering an optimized contact lens wearing experience. Ready to boost your success rates with this contact lens modality? This brings us to the end of the last episode of another year. Last month, we gave thanks to you, our listeners. This month, we gaze ahead at a brand new year filled with so much potential. How will you head into 2024? Calm, confident, and on top of your game? Frazzled, disorganized, and in need of more time off? Somewhere in between? As the saying goes, change begins with you. Whatever you need out of this new year, make it so. Take a deep breath when that ball drops and go all in. Until next year, be well.